from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to the Good Atheist Podcast. My name is Jacob Fortan. Today I have another special guest. Uh, I've been kind of on this role of doing a whole bunch of interviews with new uh, people, and sometimes I've been inviting people that have been on the show before. And so in that spirit, I've invited friend of the show, Vicki Garrison, on. Vicki, thanks for joining me. Hi, Jacob. It's good to be back. We, I first interviewed you in 2012 when I read an article I think it was in Friendly Atheist that talked about your, you know, uh, how you had been in this quiverful movement, which I did not know at that time, and uh, you had managed to, uh, you know, you had started a blog and that kind of stuff. So I wanted to have you on the show and just talk about your experiences. And so now I have you on the show because you're, I, I don't want to say you're, you're hitting some celebrity statuses here, but you're, I've, I've been seeing you on the news everywhere. I have a, I kind of have a feed of what's hot. And for a while, there was a familiar name on that what's hot list, and that was your name, Vicky. <laughs> that, that was so wild. I did not expect that. And I don't know why it didn't occur to me that if I had an article on Alternate in which I called Jesus an abusive bully, that might get some attention. But <laughs> I was kind of shocked anyway. I was Wow, people are paying attention. Well, there, there was a couple of things. One, you you gave a talk um, at uh, which conference was it? That you it gave was the, the talk? American Atheist Conference on Easter Sunday. And you gave uh, a talk that you called the Patriarch's Wife. Right. And and uh, I there there was a number of because you had made some graphics and you'd done this whole presentation that was effectively about how you had realized that despite not having safe being physically abused, you realize that the belief system that you were in was an abusive system. Can you tell me a little bit about that that talk? Yes, and I, I do have to say that the graphics really made that talk, and I want to give credit to Dolan Hickman, who has written a book about um, the, the discipline that is used within the fundamentalist Christian circles, and it's a very disturbing, you know, in a necessary sort of way, book called uh, 1324, A Story of Faith and Obsession, and I have to give that plug because, honestly, the graphics made a, a huge difference. And what I did is I took a, a representation of the power and control wheel, which is a tool which counselors use when they're dealing with victims of abuse that, you know, just specifically gives you the language, points out how it is that abusers manage to manipulate and control their victims. And there are eight points to the wheel. And I <laughs> we took each point and I said, you know, because when I when I was getting out, when I was first really starting to wake up to my situation, I had gone to a domestic violence uh, safe house and I was like I need help. I, I need to, you know, file for a restraining order against my husband. And so the lady who was volunteering there, she she gave me this paperwork and she said, you just need to, you know, write a description for the judge and tell him what's, what the situation is. And I wrote three pages. <laughs> and very detailed, I thought. 
And, but after she read it all, she says, well, you know, you haven't actually accused him of abuse in, in any of this. And at that time, I was like, well, I don't, I don't think it's, he's really being abusive. It's just... <laughs> because at that time, I was so thoroughly indoctrinated in the uh, biblical family values in this, this whole idea of Christian love and agape love. And so everything that was happening in my home that actually was emotionally and mentally um, abusive, I had internalized as being love, loving. This was good. I had chapter and verse for everything. And so what we did with the graphics is we took each point of that power and control wheel and we demonstrated um, how Christian teachings about love, especially with the emphasis on martyrdom, the emphasis on hierarchy and authority um, and the gender roles, how those all work together to actually make a person, you know, basically internalize and adopt this victim mentality, this mentality which says, I deserve this. I'm the one who's in the wrong. I'm the one who is, you know, a, a complete worthless sinner. And the, the very best that I can expect is, you know, just to be allowed to, to live when I really deserve hell. I really deserve eternal punishment. It's your and fault. So it's, Everything's your fault. Exactly. Because Eve yeah. uh, ate the apple. Damn you. Damn you, Vicky. <laughs> it's your fault. I, uh, and it's amazing, you know, because I didn't have to go digging for obscure verses. I picked the ones that are, are you know, very commonly cited in Christian circles when they're talking about love, when they're talking about agape love, the kind of love that God has for his children, for his creation. And so, um, and I could have, I could have went on, but, you know, because it was a, a visual presentation, we kept it really brief and just had a verse or two for each point. But, um, but it, it was very demonstrable, and the, re the response that I received afterwards, you know, so many people came up and said, I have never had it so clearly laid out <laughs> for me before, that, yes, this is, an abusive mindset. It really reinforces for um, for ordinary people, for Christians. And this is why I talk about spiritual abuse, because a person who has this desire to be right with their maker, to, you know, have this connection with the eternal or with this, you know, the all, whatever, they, they have this feeling like there's something more to me than just my physical body, and they want to you know, get in touch with that and be, you know, in a good relationship. And what they're taught within Christianity, point for point, <laughs> you know, just makes you develop this uh, victim mentality, this mentality which which abuse victims have adopted, in which they they internalize all of this and they say, yes, I am worthless. <laughs> You know, I should be grateful that this person I'm in a relationship with will even bother me. Nobody else would have me. You know, I don't deserve any of this. Well, the Christian, faith, the, just, the Christian faith is really designed to attract 
that kind of mentality anyways because at the core, well, it's I, I almost like it saying, are, are you the most vulnerable person in the world? Good. Let me fill your head with Christianity <laughs> and then find some abusive guy and well, you're set. You're done. And, and if you don't already, you know, if you don't have that to begin with, if you start out feeling fairly confident, you know, like I'm, I'm all right, you know, I'm okay. I, I haven't really done anything to hurt somebody. I try to do my best for other people. Um, you know, and what you'll hear the evangelist say, and Ray Comfort is one who is popular for saying, you know, before you can get someone saved, you have to get them lost. You have to convince them that they are deserving of hell. And I remember, you know, this being told to me when I was first um, converting to Christianity, you know, they said, well, how many times do you have to feel to be a thief? How many times do you have to, um, you know, uh, basically they, they get you to the point where you have to admit that you have fallen short of the grace of God and you are a sinner and that your sin makes you on the same level in God's eyes, you know, because God is so holy, he's so perfect. And so your sin makes you equally deserving of eternal damnation and separation from God as, as Hitler, as someone who is, you well, know, Well, they have, they have no moral equivalency. They have no moral equivalency. Exactly. But my, my, my favorite response, though, if somebody asks me, how many times does it take you know, to, to steal, to be a thief. And I would ask, how many times do you have to fight a fire to be a fireman? You know, <laughs> probably the difference is professionally. Yeah. <laughs> There's your answer, yeah. genius. <laughs> <laughs> and truthfully, you know, you make a good point that these are very simplistic arguments, which on the surface, you know, I think that, that even in our culture, because Christianity is just so prevalent, it's, it's really, you know, goes throughout without saying, and, and so much of our culture is based on these ideas, that we don't really, you know, think deeply about what we're being told here. We just say, oh, yeah, okay. Um, and, and that, I think, is, is something that makes it, I mean, I, I do agree with you that Christianity kind of preys on and attracts the people who have this mentality, but that's that's a cultural thing, you know, it's not, you don't have to look hard to find people who feel worthless, who feel sinful, who feel guilty, you know, and right, to be right. able to build on that. But on, on the other hand, it also will take a person who has a healthy self-concept and demolish that and <laughs> make sure that, you know, you get over that whole feeling of, I'm okay, you're okay. No, we cannot have that because God says you are not okay. You know, even the very best thing that you do is like filthy rags in comparison to God's holiness. And well, that's so really, the, that's they the just have to ground. Pardon me. The the most the concept of grace, which in Christianity, when, the thing that they always talk about, like it's good. They're like, oh, God's grace, and you're like, what? When you really distill what that word means. You realize that the word grace is kind of disturbing. It just means, oh, you're not good enough. It but, is. But it, God loves you, but you're a piece <laughs> of shit. You're like, oh, and, and when you think about that, if, if an abusive husband treats his wife that way, you know, well, you, what you deserve is for, you know, to go live in the streets and be completely abandoned. But you should be so grateful because I am willing to forgive you. I am willing to, you know, put up with you 
etc. And then they call that love. See how loving I am? See how good I am to you? Well, it's, it's easy when the standard is so damn low. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it, I think that when I saw the uh, the presentation, and I, I made an offhand comment, but I, I wanted to kind of still bring it up, is I think that the graphic that you had made should be done into a pamphlet format, and that these should be, you know, distributed the same way that Christians are always distributing their annoying pamphlets trying to say, hey, do you feel bad? Well, that's because you are bad. I would, I would rather have a bunch of pamphlets that said, oh, here are the ways that you're being systematically abused by this right. terrifying patriarchal or right. religion. Because, you know, for me, that's, that's a public service here, you know. And I think that as non-believers, we, we always tend to, the, to think, oh, well, let them come to us. I'm like, eh, you know, when it comes to abuse victims, you a lot of times have to go to them. Yes. And, and what is really interesting when you're working with people who, who are in abusive situations, you, what you tend to find out is that most of their captivity, most of their subjection is happening in their head. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and because they've, they've accepted that whole idea that they are worthless, that they, they can't do any better, etc., they they've internalized this and so really the the key to you know freedom for these people is just to be able to you know break past that mental barrier and i think that you know that applies um you know in the the whole area of religion also you know i remember getting out and thinking you know all of years i i policed myself all of that was just in my head. <laughs> Everything that was going on was because of what I believed. And I remember thinking, so messed up. That is the prison of your own these, mind. My goodness. Yes, yeah. exactly. And when you realize it, you know, I remember going, how can I be so stupid? How can I be so, you know, it's so obvious. I, I was like actually um, participating and bringing about my own oppression. I was, you know, kind of chaining myself because I I was convinced that that was what was best for me. <laughs> that that was where I would be safe. That was where I would be happy. That's where I would be loved. Yeah, that's just definitely... It's it kind of, when you think about it, there's a terrifying genius to the idea because... There are undoubtedly certain men that benefit from this kind of system because, you know, I, th I think there's a natural, it, it feeds to the natural psychopathy of, uh, of, of certain men. Although the irony here is that I was reading in, in some of the, in your first blog post when you talked about on No Longer Quivering, where you just say you, you just came out. So I reread that because I was like, well, what's, what's 2009 Vicky like? Right? What's going through her mind? <laughs> And I also wanted to read the comments. And one of the interesting comments that I read from someone was a guy who'd mentioned how he had basically destroyed his family because of that he fell for it too. And he's like, it doesn't benefit men either. You know, when he realized that all these feelings of impotence and self-worth and anger and all these things were just related to the, you know, a system where you're autom everybody's automatically designed to fail. And this is... Yes. Yes, it is not a good system for men either. It seems like it would be, you know, a great setup. It would be 
you know, um, something that men would would really benefit from. But when you really look at the dynamics of what's going on, the manipulation and the the mental, you know, warpness that is happening, what it does is just it really infantilizes the men. It takes every one of their, you know, lesser, uh, uh, not so great qualities. You know, if they have insecurity, if they have control issues, if they have all of these things which, you know, in a healthy relationship are supposed to be suppressed and gotten over and worked through and dealt with, they are actually um, baptized in this whole idea of, well, this is what real men are like. Real men are leaders. And that word leader is turned into, um, you know, basically God-granted permission to control and to manipulate and to oppress. And every, you know, that's one of the things that I talk about in that speech is that the wording, the language is so twisted around. You know, what they call love is abuse. What they call leadership is, um, you know, enslaving of other human beings. What they call, um, you know, responsibility. The man has to be financially responsible. And what it turns into is this controlling, um, you know, it, it, everything is just so turned backwards and it's so twisted. And I find this often with the people who come and start reading it at No Longer Clearing, is they have to just, like, relearn the language and, and find out what these, these uh, you know, security. Security sounds nice, but when it turns into a prison, when it turns into control and oppression, that's not, you know, that's like more security than you ever really wanted. And especially when you start, you know, self-policing. Yeah, well, the, the big problem, I think, that Christians always find themselves in is there's, especially on the more fundamentalist sides, they always think this attitude that, well, all the answers really are in the Bible. If there's any problems, I just have to search deep enough, and then it's on me to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And And all of a sudden you realize, well, <laughs> what what kind of modern problem can you use the Bible to deal with? The only the only good piece of advice that I found that's actually still practical, I would say was I think it was in either in Proverbs or Psalms, which was basically say sleep on it. That was the, the best advice that I could find. <laughs> sleep on it, you know, just don't make decisions impulsively. Go to bed and then you wake up and you you might have a better mind. I'm like, well, that's, yeah. that, that's, that's good, but the rest is kind of not so good. <laughs> yes, and that is my, that was my premise. Um, and, and it was interesting because when, when the video came out, my friend Valerie Terrico, who uh, wrote a book called, oh my gosh, I'm going to, it's Uh-oh. bad that You're I'm forgetting the name of the book. You're in trouble. <laughs> Trusting Doubt an awesome book where she talks about, you know, her experience with evangelical Christianity and, and uh, you know, just being able to really embrace the questions and the doubt that she had. It's an awesome book. But she she took and, and, you know, basically took the transcript of that speech and, and coupled it with the graphics and submitted it to Alternate. And, and Alternate took the, the headline... Um, how playing the good Christian housewife nearly killed me. 
which I, I, is, you know, entirely accurate. It was a little sensational. But, ah, um, that is how the way media <laughs> likes it. Of course it would yeah. be viral. And, I'm sorry, did you say killed? My God. And, and then when when uh, Raw Story picked it up, they, they titled it Escape from Duggerville, which I thought was awesome. That was a good one. But because of those headlines and because of the presentation and just coupling it with those graphics, it, it did garner a lot of attention. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because the people that were that were uh, sharing it, it, that was between Alternet and Raw Story. It, I believe it was shared over 65,000 times on Facebook alone. But the people that were sharing it were not just, you know, the atheists and the anti-theists. They were the Christians, and they were saying, you know, they were actually having a discussion about it. And, and so I thought that was interesting to see that, you know, it was it was stated plainly enough because it, you know, because I did have Catherine Burtz for every point of that power and control wheel, that it did make them have to look at it and make them have to think about it, and so you know, stirred up some conversation. And and for that, I'm really I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that is what you were hoping for. All like uh, you know, even when you started uh, the no longer quivering to reach out to people, and you have done that. I mean, like, how many people are now involved? Uh, with you and in general have been kind of like either working on other uh, atheist related projects or working with you like is there is, uh, do you have like a little group now do you really are you like an army now <laughs> well you know the way that I see it from my perspective is it has grown the the whole you know counter spiritual abuse um, you know being able to recognize that call it out that movement has gotten so beyond me. It is so much bigger than me. It is so much bigger than even no longer quivering. You know, so many people start there, but then they branch out. And we have so many, um, you know, whenever people come and they start writing and commenting, you know, we notice <laughs> when they're, because they start processing, they start telling their own story and saying, well, this is how it, it worked out in my life. And they start going into the details. And, and I always, you know, try to catch those people and say, wait a minute. You know, this is a, an awesome process, and it's good for your healing. It's also good, you know, for educating others. And you need to just start your own blog. And so now we've, we've developed a spiritual abuse survivor blogs network. Um, and, you know, if you go to No Longer Quivering and you click on that link, it's amazing to see how many people are really speaking out and they're really, you know, becoming um, just great vocal advocates for for you know, being able to, to share this information to educate people and to get them thinking, to wake them up and say, you know, what's going on? How is this really working out for you? Well, I think, you know, there was a couple of things uh, we had talked about in a 2012 interview that I was listening to that I think um, are maybe even, are just as important or maybe even more important. And the one thing that you had mentioned, and this is even something that you had said in 2009, it was a big emphasis I don't know if it is now in the way that you, your presentation was, but this was big emphasis back then, which was to say that my children were not thriving under this and that I felt like as, as soon as you said that, I'm like, you know, again, I'm thinking pamphlet-wise, that how many, how many moms out there who are willing to sacrifice their bodies and their minds because they think it's in the benefit of their children really need to have a wake-up call and say, hello, the, all, that, all those problems that you're having, 
Yeah, that's... Yes. Exactly. And and what makes it so insidious and what makes it, you know, just make me so freaking angry is that the whole reason, the whole motivation for getting into this, this lifestyle in the first place is for the children. You want to protect your children. You want to provide them with a loving environment. You want, you know, to do your very best for them. And you're willing, you know, sacrifice, sure. What mom isn't going to sacrifice for their kids? Um, and so if you, you know, if it means having all the babies that God sends your way, if it means homeschooling those children, um, sheltering them, everything that's involved in that lifestyle, and it is very demanding, very harsh lifestyle. It's very, um, you know, takes a, a huge toll on the mothers. And the whole reason that they're willing to do that is because they believe that this is the absolute very best thing that they can do, that this is God's way, this is God's plan for them. And then if they, you know, will just simply submit themselves to that program, then, you know, they don't have to, they don't have to worry about their own, you know, because every mom feels like, well, I am so um, ill-equipped for this job. <laughs> you know, I'm responsible for another person's life and for their upbringing, and I want to do my very best, but I don't even really know. You know, it's a big world, and there are so many choices. There are so many ways of living, and so what do I do? And when you can get to, you know, you find this, you stumble onto this, this idea that, you know, God has a plan. God can tell you how to do it, and it's written there in the Word of God in the Bible. And if you follow that, then you don't have to worry about, you know, your own ability, your own competency, because God is is in the mix. You know, you've got God on your side. You've got Him guiding, protecting, um, shielding you from the, the enemy and, and all of this. And so it becomes this very powerful, and, and, you know, I've come to see it as kind of a very manipulative way of living, you know, once you're saying, okay, I don't have to be able to control everything for my kids because God is going to control it all. But what you're actually doing then is is very controlling. It's <laughs> well, I mean, it, it gets so twisted. It gets so so darn twisted. And and imagine like I don't know if Christians really think about this issue, but it 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 happens all the time where all of a sudden you're like, okay, sure, go and teach your kids Christianity. But are you guaranteed by the time that they're adults, they're going to choose exactly your branch of Christianity? Because guess what, they don't all get along. And it can really be tailored to a person's personality, and all of a sudden now you have a huge barrier because, hey, uh, you're Catholic, and all of a sudden this person decides to go United Church or something, yeah. and now you have these huge divides. And you thought, oh no, we would all believe exactly the same thing, and you, and you're like, well, because your belief system is just so rigid that it can yeah. actually spawn other rigid forms, and that could. That could utterly obliterate your family. You thought we'd all be happy Christians. Yeah, that's a big denomination. Uh, and what happens then is that it, it really messes with the parent-child relationship. You want to be best friends with your kids. You want to love them and, and have, you know, a very close relationship. But when you feel like their eternal um, security is at stake, then all of a sudden it becomes a very big issue what they believe. You know, it's like... It's not just, now if my kids have a, a different opinion than mine, I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, because I don't think that, that you know, their eternal salvation is tied to this, uh, this, them having to agree with me because I have the right answer. 
Yeah, I can't, know, I can't imagine so, what it's like to deal with such a grief <laughs> engine that you made for yourself. My goodness. Yes. Holy it's, moly. It's so much it's so much nicer. I enjoy my kids so much more now that I'm not so invested in this, you know, eternal outcome. And I can just, you know, if they make mistakes, if they go a different way, you know, that's that's their business. That's their life. And, and it's kind of actually interesting and exciting to watch and say, oh, okay, I see what they're doing there. And, and yeah, I wouldn't do it. Or, yeah, I did that and I know, you know, <laughs> it's not the best plan. But, you know, let them go ahead and try it. I I appreciate their enthusiasm, <laughs> and maybe that maybe it'll work for them this time. You know. Well, I I suppose the the vision of uh, of a healthy Christian family, uh, well, you know, you see it in the commercials of the Latter Day Saints, for instance, is just an example. That is actually a nightmare for me. Everybody just seems like they're zombies. Where's the personality here? You know. Exactly. Exactly. There's no joy. Like the the joy is just happy smiles. Look, we're all homogenous. We all believe exactly the same thing. Well, that must make your conversation at dinner time real stimulating. <laughs> it makes it real contentious, is what it does, because you really do have to toe the line on every single point. Oh, that's got to be a nightmare. Oh my God, talk about like no room for free discussion. Yes, and the oppression. The you know just and, and you know. Everyone who who goes this route does it incrementally. You know, they get in gradually. And so it's kind of like the frog in the boiling water analogy, where by the time you're fully immersed and you're, you know, this is your daily way of living, you get to where that's just normal and you don't even realize how depressing and, and damaging and contentious and just never-ending, um, you know, this overwhelming weight that's always there, it's always present. And so, you know, by, when you get out, <laughs> and I see this, you know, time after time when the women come and they start reading stories and they start sharing and they start processing, and then they have a chance to experience, like, normal relationships <laughs> that aren't manipulating, that aren't controlling, that aren't um, so rigid, the freedom the you know it's like oh my gosh I am so happy I just love this and yeah it's uh, I I thought that I would get really depressed when I stopped believing in God because that's what I was told you know that atheists they have no purpose in life and they have no joy because they don't know God and you know so they don't even really have a reason for living and I I had internalized that I believed that and so I just kind of when I when I realized I didn't believe in God anymore I was like you know I was waiting for that depression to sit in kept waiting for it to happen and uh, it just didn't I happen. did yeah. I was waiting you know I I was just dreading the morning that I would wake up and say you know why bother <laughs> and, and that it didn't happen like day after day and month and you know years down the road and I was just like still enjoying a life that is not so totally conscripted, that is not totally controlled, you know, to the minutia of of every little detail of your life. Now, (laughs) you know, just to be able to have that freedom to just do whatever, and even if it's wrong, even if you mess up, you know, it's like, all right, that didn't work, so let's go another route. But it's not a devastating thing. It's not the end of the world. 
You realize but, you're yeah. failing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you realize, hey, I'm just a, I'm just a, you know, naked ape walking around, barely have his shit together or her shit together, and we all just kind of laugh it off, and it's not such a exactly. big deal. Exactly, and, and nobody feels this, you know, weight of, of you know, <laughs> holy doom that's coming after you because you have just pleased your maker or whatever. It's like, uh, well. <laughs> but one, one thing that I can also imagine, and this is the mistaken assumption that all Christians have, is they think that when you're an atheist, because there isn't what they would categorize as an objective morality, but really more of a subjective one, that somehow our morality is more ambiguous. But it turns out that their morality is actually ambiguous. And a good example is, say, the Catholic Church. What is the moral difference between child rape, okay, and let's say masturbation? Exactly. They're on an equal plane as far as the judgment of God goes, because both of those those sinners are going to end up in, you know, eternal torment. And so there is no difference. Exactly. So that, I mean, they, they, I, I, I laugh every time some Christian tells me there's objective morality. I'm like, well, I'm no philosopher, but if you actually <laughs> don't have any gradation, then whatever you think is being objective is really more of a, a kind of black and white uh, with with without any ability for us to examine the the moral weight of these kinds of atrocities, like the or or in one case at least the masturbation thing, not an atrocity, but a actually we need more people jerking off, and that would probably solve a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> so where one sees You're going an evil, to hell for saying that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm going to hell for many reasons if there is one, but the company there is going to be so amazing that uh, right. I'm, not, I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I got friends now. We, we have a date, you know, we're going to have a marshmallow toast at the Lake of Fire. So... <laughs> Well, well, you know, we'll we'll have to. I'm going to record a show, you know, from hell. Who's going to stop me, really? Because I, I, right. I, I've always been curious also about the Christian concept of hell because it's borrowed from Zoroastrianism, and in Zoroastrianism, hell makes sense, or even the concept of evil makes sense because they're competing forces. They're both they have the same force and they fight, and we're in the we're caught in the middle. And that sounds to me like, all right, I kind of get why their 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 hell makes sense because it's like a whole thing. But in in hell, in in the Christian thing, where you're like, well, is Satan a good guy or a bad guy? Because he's punishing bad people. <laughs> so what's what's, exactly. what's the deal? No, with that? and it, it doesn't make sense. And even when I was a, a fully committed believer, I didn't believe in hell because it makes so so little sense. And it actually, you know, I I could see where, uh, <laughs> you know, couple. And this is this is really shows how how much I pondered over this and, and, you know, tried to figure it out in my brain. And my brain was just going in circles and circles trying to figure it out because, you know, I had been taught that there's this age of accountability. And before that, a child who dies, you know, and, and I was in that, that stage of life where I had friends who's, who were losing babies, who were um, having, you know, late-term miscarriages and, and such. And so... Um, I had to think about this because, you know, we're told those babies go straight to the arms of Jesus. <laughs> and um, and until they reach that age of accountability, you know, children are not held responsible, and if they do, you know, go straight to heaven. And when I thought about that, I was like, well, what kind of loving mother would take that chance with their kid? What kind of mother, loving mother who truly cared about her child's eternal well-being 
would allow a chi- her child to reach that age of accountability. Because then, you know, it's a crapshoot. If you have a way to guarantee, to say absolutely, you know, and when, when Andrea Gates started making sense to me, that was scary. That was terrifying. Jesus. And so at that point, even though I had no no real good explanation for, you know, how I could just reject this, I had to because I still had children who were under that age of accountability. And I had to say, no, that can't be right. It cannot be true that a loving God would create a system in which it actually makes sense and it's actually the loving thing to do to make sure that your child does not reach that age of accountability. That uh, well, you can you. We sometimes wonder why people who have, uh, you know, murdered their children and have mental illness. W- what what could have possibly convinced them that that was a good idea? I'm like, there's plenty, <laughs> plenty, and that's the yeah. scary thing. I mean, it, it would be plenty. like saying, well, the, I I read the Lord of the Rings and I've been told that it's the truth, and I've decided uh, <laughs> that I need to sacrifice my child in the volcano. You know, right. He is the, the reincarnation <laughs> of uh, Sauron or something. And a person would be like, well, they got justification from the Lord of the Rings. Right. And it's it, it is It is a very twisted system, and there is so much disconnect that is, you know, you, you really have to not think too deeply about it in order to continue to live, you know, consistently with it, because otherwise it just, <laughs> you know... Well, it eats it, away, it, and, and talk about, you know, abuse, putting that in the context of, of a spiritually abusive relationship. You know, when you get to the point where, uh, you know, you, you believe you, you believe that there's a way that your child could live eternally forever, but you're, you know, so afraid of God, who is supposedly a loving person, that you're, you know, you're not going to kill because God said don't kill, <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, the whole thing is just like, if you really believed that, you would you would be forced, you would be compelled to have to just, you know, either not have kids at all, which is, you know, unbiblical. That's not God's plan for you to do. Or if you do have them, you know, you just can't take that risk of letting them reach that age of accountability. It's just become such a, a twisted thing that... <laughs> You know, a, a mom who is in that situation, she has to learn to disconnect. She has to learn to rationalize. She has to learn to justify and to deny. And, you know, everything that goes into that abusive mentality, that victim mentality, she she really has to become adept at that in order to stay in that system. Well, you know, the unfortunate thing, too, is that um, you know, we talk about what are the systems, like the patriarchal systems, that we need to, uh, you know, really take down. What are the, what are the, what are the ones? What what kind of, what are the ripe ones? You know, the ones that really could just, as soon as we shed a little bit of light on them, they could start dissolving. And I feel like the Quiverful movement is one of those. I think that even Christians themselves are generally pretty disgusted when exposed. It's probably why it had so much, you know, carried so much with with them when they could just, you know, you shone that light. But I think that's even just just the beginning, you know, like just the start of it. I don't even think people have fully grasped, like we talked before, the way that I, I, you could accidentally alienate your own children, even within your own religion. And and, yes. and it, because it's built, fundamentalism is built in the material. What we do mm-hmm. is we've created a culture that essentially tries to wipe out that impulse. 
But it, it's not entirely wiped out, and definitely there are many places where it would be hard to tell the difference between a member of the Taliban and a, you know, a member of the Christian right. Exactly. And it's interesting because, you know, in the responses to that article, um, you know, where I said <laughs> that Quiverful is regular Christianity writ large and lived out to its logical conclusions. What I'm saying is that the Quiverful Christians are the ones who unhypocritically apply those biblical family values that the majority of Christians, you know, if you're listening to folks on the family radio, if you're listening to Family Life Today, which are, you know, huge, you turn on K-Love and you're going to hear about these uh, biblical family values. You're going to hear this pro-life thing. You're going to hear this, you know, man is the head and, and the woman is to be her, the help me. You know, all of these, and if you, if you really accept that, and you try and say that the Cliverful Christians are extreme, that they're not really representative of Christianity, you know, you're the one that's a hypocrite. You're the one who believes it but doesn't act on it. And you're trying to condemn these people who just are t- simply taking seriously what you actually believe. Well, this is why, you know, when I set out to write my book, Bible Stories, I wanted to just say, hey, listen, listen the reason you've, you continue to believe in Christianity is because you've never really read the Bible. I mean, if a person reads the entire thing, and I'm not just talking about the portions that their pastors tell them to, you know, the nice little mm-hmm. pads, but the whole thing, just the whole thing, and to really just approach it as though you've read it for the first time, that there's no voice in the back of your head trying to wash these things away, you realize by the end of it, there's, I don't actually think I've read a book that is as brutal. I mean, even Game of Thrones. Nothing compared to it. I, I was just making a casual estimate of how many rapes there were in the Bible. I think it was like seventeen thousand. You know. Wow. I mean, it just yeah. just nine hundred of them, or, or or alone, are is when the Benjamites almost get wiped out at the end of uh, Judges, and they have to go and kidnap a whole bunch of girls. Well, first they kill a whole town. And they just rob the girls, right. and then they have to go and say, "Well, it's 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 one of our festivals. I'm not sure which one, but they're like go in the grape fields and they just grab anyone that goes, and nobody's going to say shit." So that's that's yeah. an example of almost a thousand. You know, as quote Christians, and we were at this point home churching, uh, and I remember encountering that story during a Bible study, and what we did with that with the adults, and and I'm going to go ahead and say with the men. <laughs> basically turn that into a teaching about modesty, a teaching about how women need to be um, under their their father's authority, that they need to be submissive, that they need to be under the protection of the men in their home. And and when they when they uh reject that authority or when they, you know, flaunt themselves or go out and put themselves out there, you know, that they're basically inviting that kind of, and I I really can't tell you at this point how we managed to turn a story about the rape of girls into a teaching about how, you know, girls really need to just... They were asking for it, that's up. what they, by they walking in the, wine, in, in the wine vineyard, what are you doing, you slut in the vineyard? Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> what are you wearing, a dress? That's good enough, you whore, come on, come here, I own you now. I paid your dad the dowry price. It's all good. And you're just right. like, um... This is the thing that I don't think that people even understand. 
when we're talking about what, what are biblical family values, and biblical family values are just the worst. I mean, I can't even imagine a world in which you're, you, you, could ima- you could say, I live by biblical family values and not be put in jail if you really did. There's, yes. It's mostly child abuse, mostly. I mean, even if they talk back, you're supposed to kill them. Yes. Uh, and that is not even something that we side away from. You know, we took those those extreme verses, and we didn't, you know, try to to deny that they were there or to, you know, meta- make them into metaphors or whatever or say, well, that was just cultural. We said that is, you know, that's the Word of God. And so we would, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because for us, if it was in the Bible, it was biblical. And so you couldn't really object to polygamy. You couldn't really object to slavery. Um, you know, you couldn't, you could not object to the idea that a daughter is her father's possession and that he should receive um, um, some kind of value. You know, we call it the bride price. And, and there are, within quiverful circles, you know, I know of some sermons, you know, called The Bride Price, and it's talking about how a man, young man who wants to court a, a young lady, you know, she he needs to be willing to pay that price to her father, whether he's, you know, going to paint his house or do some landscaping or whatever, you know, he has to invest, he has to show that she has value by, you know, basically rendering that value to her father. <laughs> Isn't that special? So lovely. Traditions are yes. so great. And, and this is supposed to make the make the daughter feel very valuable, very priceless, because, you know, she's worth so much that a man should be willing to pay the bride price for her hand from her father. Well, <laughs> aren't, you, aren't you valuable? <laughs> you feel loved and... <laughs> well, the problem that we have, you know, when we really think about it, and this is why I was pushing the idea of, you know, we need to figure out a way to maybe make your presentation into pamphlets or, or have this, maybe not just you, but other people in general that have been thinking about this. Because it's all, the victims are also all the perpetrators, unfortunately. They raise the next generation of people who are going to victimize others. They, don't, they may not know they're exactly. doing it, but all of a sudden it's, it's like that horrible matrix. Oh, they're an enemy. Well, they're an enemy until they realize that they can be an ally. And so mm-hmm. we can't just sit on our asses and just wait for that to happen, in my opinion. It's not going to. It's the rare yeah, individual. And, you know, the, the response to that article and to that presentation, I think very much um, just exemplifies and shows how, if you can clearly spell it out like that, the graphics were awesome. <laughs> you know, just to be able to uh, uh, very simply, you know, point by point, it does wake people up. I remember the first time I saw that power and control wheel and just thinking, yeah, there's words for this, and it's not the words that I've been using, you know, and just to be able to have that language and to be able to have that conversation and saying, yes, this is wrong, this is abuse, this is, you know, control and, and power over, um, being able to put it into words was so freeing because, uh, you know, it freed my mind from those false uh, definitions of love and of, <laughs> you know, uh, everything that I had accepted as right and good in within personal relationships turns out that it was all 
it, it was all so wrong and it was all so twisted. And so just having that language. So, you know, I do agree that being able to put that into a pamphlet form or to, you know, get that, that message out there, to spell it out clearly for people, I think it, it's a real eye-opener. Uh, well, you know, the, the, the cost of doing that wouldn't be necessarily too bad. But unfortunately, it seems to me that you're currently not exactly doing fantastically well. Do you, I, I don't know if you want to talk about the, 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 the kind of campaign that you were, I don't know if you want to call it a campaign, but there was a, you know, like you, what's the situation exactly that you're in, if you could? Well, what happened, and, and this was, you know, um, it, it just happened that the timing of it, that it's about the same time that that article came out, some friends of mine from No Longer Quivering who are familiar with my situation, and we have been talking, you know, in back channels about the fact that, you know, when when I left, when I filed for divorce, that it did have some very serious financial repercussions for me and for my children, and that I am in a position where I have creditors who have got a judgment against me and who uh, could put a lien, you know, they're they're in the process to, to put a lien against my house and force a foreclosure, which I, you know, uh, that would suck. That would really suck. But we were talking about this, you know, the back channels, and, and my friends are no longer quivering. They're like, you know, you've done so much, and we want to help you, and they started a fundraiser. And the, the response has been, oh, my gosh, so humbling to see how many people just really, you know, are supporting and, and caring, you know, tangibly. Um, you know, it's not like we'll pray for you. And, and it's been atheists, it's been Christians, it's been, you know, people who even disagree with my conclusions, it's, you know, who say, yeah, she's taken too far, she's a fundamentalist atheist, whatever. But they do see the value in being able to rescue these people from these very extreme spiritually abusive situations. And, and so nevertheless, rather than just saying, well, we'll pray for you or whatever, they're actually giving tangible support, which is it's very heartwarming for me. I just feel um, overwhelmed. Well, I, I, I tried to uh, give you a little bit. Unfortunately, I couldn't contribute much. You know, I'm not a very rich man. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing is, is everybody's been, you know, just chipping in 15, 20, 25, and it, it's just really added up quickly, so... I'm I'm so grateful. Well, you're not you're not quite at your goal, so I'm going to put a link and uh, encourage anybody who's uh, heard you on the show before and you know realizes the kind of important work that you do. And you know, we I I often say this about the atheism scene that we we're still in that you know we're we're not quite a community, but it's not you know just the just only individuals. You know, we 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 skirt the two. Because I think that right. in many ways we don't quite know how to deal with, um, you know, just some of the negative aspects that are often associated with that. But I think that slowly but surely we're starting to realize that, and there are certain key people I think that have that definitely deserve a person to say, "Hey, look, if we if you were at a church, okay, and a person that was showing up every day helping to build the community, or whatever, and had a problem like that, there is." No doubt in my mind that a bunch of people would pass a collection plate and get that shit done. And then we kind of need to do that same with our own because there's lots of terrible situation. It's not easy for people to come out. It's not just a, hey, I just came out and, you know, see you later, everybody. I'm I'm liberated, so good luck. <laughs> we, yes, and especially what? if you have gone to the, to 
the extremes that quiverful moms do. You know, I, I hear story after story, and, and honestly, I feel like, you know, my, my situation is bad, but I know of women who are, are in that sort of situation or worse because of their, their decision to rescue their kids from that very oppressive environment. And, you know, some of them have lost custody of their kids, and some of them, you know, are living with, had to move back home with their parents. And they've got, you know, half a dozen or more kids that they're trying to, you know, all of a sudden, and they've not had um, any workforce experience in years. They have not, you know, some of them, if they're being raised this way, have not had an adequate education. They haven't gone to college. They you know, they've been trained to be wives and moms. <laughs> and so, you know, when they come out, the financial repercussions are huge. And it's very daunting to even, you know, the fact that they do it anyway is just a testament to how seriously harsh and oppressive this lifestyle is. And, and you know, when they get to the point where they're just like, screw it, I don't care if we have to live in a tent. <laughs> We're getting out. Well, um, that I, that I, I really speaks to just how bad it can get. They've they've effectively, when doing that, you abandon your support group, uh, and you do it. You yes. know, you, you do it with the hope that you're going to improve your family life. But when you just cut off every single leg of your yeah, chair, and, and your your the community, the Christian community, because at that point you have gotten to where all the only people that you're really closely associating with are people who think just like you and who have this whole, um, you know, victimizing victimhood <laughs> mentality that they are, you know, steeped in abuse. And so what when they see these moms struggling, when they see these children, you know, not having their actual physical needs met, they'll be like, well, this is because, this is what happens when you abandon God. Uh, what happens when you, you know, give up your role. And so, yeah, this, you know... You, you deserve been turned it. over to Satan. You've been turned over to Satan. And once he has done, you know, got you to the pig pen, <laughs> you know, like the, the prodigal son, when you're, when you're graveling in the pig pen and thinking that their food looks edible, then maybe you'll wake up your rebellion and you'll come back and you'll, you know, you'll be grateful for that life that you abandoned. And so it, it can be devastating to, to have that kind of, not just not support, but people who are actually happy to see that you have fallen to, you know, absolutely miserable um, situation financially, because to them that's evidence that you know, when when you were receiving God's blessings, you know, w willingly, and that means, that, you know, having the babies, well, then you were getting God's financial blessings, too. And now, you know, you have cut yourself off from those blessings, and so that's why you're so broke. Yeah, <laughs> real nice. What a nice bunch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and that, it just goes back to what I said. It is a an inherently abusive system that teaches people to abuse and to be abused and to, you know, justify it all. And well, and in all of that, God comes out as, you know, praise Him. He's so good. He's yeah. so sick, right? Oh, it's a... Uh, praise Him for making my life a living hell. Praise Him. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I hope I hope that what's going to you know again like the atheism movement still very young you know I, I, it it's it has to find a middle ground where it can have the where we can achieve what some of the comforts and support of communities and churches do, but also have room for you know obviously we want to be independent we don't want to be told what to do I think all of those things can be achieved together but we have to remember why it's important to do it and for me the why is for people like you, you know, who've come out and who suddenly they don't have as much of a support network. Now there's a whole but they, they, they have to inherit all of this, uh, you know, all, all this bad mm-hmm. crap that came from Christianity. And meanwhile, we want to turn around and be like, well, good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, intellectual integrity that, is the that way. Has you know, not, I, I have to say that has not been my experience at all. You know, I, I really feel like the atheist community has been very welcoming, very supportive, very understanding of um, you know just how difficult this is the transition and you know I haven't felt like they have just brushed it off and said you know nice and glad for you. <laughs> no, but this this, this but, contingent is a, it's it's a still a fairly large percentage because I mean they won't go out and and tell you because fundamentally most of the people who think that way are, are, are they're not jerks they're just not they're they'll they'll be uninvolved right. Mm-hmm. And I and mm-hmm. I th- I hope in the future they can see that an involvement is something like, hey, you know the um, the latte you buy, how about you don't buy one for the month and then you give it to something some cause some atheist related cause, and it could be in a variety of ways. You know, it could be helping a group that's trying to find you know help troubled youths that have to run away from home because their parents kicked them out because their parents are religious and they had to come out as atheists. Right. What right. are we doing for these people? And they're they're to out be there. be able to provide some, you know, actual tangible support is it's really the best way too to make it possible for so many people to, you know, be able to have that freedom. You know, one of those one of the points on that power and control wheel it talks about economic abuse and how, you know, Everything financially is so controlled that a person can't get away if they want to. And so being able to say, well, here are some resources that aren't, you know, you're not going to have to hear a sermon in order to get this food, or you're not going to have to, you know, uh, sign a creed (laughs) and join our church in order to use the food pantry. And and I've been at churches where that was the case. Um, And so... To be able to just provide those resources so that people can not have to have that financial consideration mixed up with everything else, their confusions and their doubts and their questioning. Yeah, well, I don't think I just don't think that people realize how big our numbers really are because of how many people are disengaged. That's just that's just the truth. I mean, the nuns are massive, and for the most part, I think the nuns have chosen to kind of you know ignore another section, you know, a large section of the other nuns. That I, you know, I, th- I think we should turn around and and because we've done a lot of, I think that there's a lot of atheist organizations that pop up and being like, we want to, comp- we want to show our face and and show that we are also generous and give to other organizations and we bring up money. But I think that we forget uh, our own group a lot of the times when we do this. And I'm like, I know that it doesn't sound right, but we should really focus on funds that help other atheists that are caught in situations because of their atheism. This is undeniable. This happens. But we're yes. just we're kind of ignoring this issue because we're making it kind of like a. I think it, in America there's always that tendency of saying take personal responsibility, and you're like, right. well, it's right. not that easy when your entire life is wrapped up in a religion and you can't <laughs> quite leave because you have no money and you really want out. But what are you gonna do? 
and I I don't want that ever like in in a perfect world I imagine that that is never ever a possibility. That if someone really wants to come out, we can provide them with resources. We can give them at the very least, being like, oh, you need a place. You know, they, the Christians do this. Yes, they do this exactly. really effectively. Exactly. And I, I I kind of am jealous of that, but that's. That's in the future. We're going to do things nice and slow. In the meantime, I'm encouraging people. I'm going to put a link on the site. And also for the next week. So this is the, the podcast is going not this, not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible with dates. But that whole week, if you buy a, uh, if, if you buy a book, the 100% pre, the proceeds are going to go right to Vicky. So that's, uh, that's Sweet. I really appreciate that. No problemo. I want people to read the book, and I want you to be supported, so it works out. Win-win, <laughs> win-win situation. It's I a win-win, exactly. And I really, I, and I want you, I want this whole thing to be out of your hair because once that's taken care of, in a few months, I'd love to for you and I to sit down. Maybe I can help get into pamphlet form. Maybe find some printers for you guys. I really, honestly think that this kind of thing has, uh, you know, needs to be done. Like, and we need to find some kind of solution. Maybe we could start a Patreon campaign, a small Indiegogo, just to print out some something. I really think, because I honestly, like you said before, I mean, it had that impact. As soon as, whenever yes. we do something that that is a hit, I think we need to just jump on it. So this is one of those things right. that if you don't have right. anyone to help you, you I definitely want to do that. you got to build on it. So exactly. I'm, I'm totally thinking that's a great idea. All right, well, fantastic. See, you, you come on board, we talk things, mm-hmm. out, and then I throw some ideas your way and try to throw a little bit of support your way. This is uh this is what communities uh, are supposed to be like. So. so slowly but surely we're doing it. Awesome. <laughs> all right, well, I, 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 thanks for coming on the show and telling us all about your recent adventures and uh, by the time you're on again, uh, who knows what wild things will be done. By then you'll be uh, super world famous. World over. Oh. <laughs> It'll be a good thing. Don't worry. And then, well, okay. after for a while, I'll, I'll take fame your word for that. Head. Fame will go to your head, <laughs> and then you'll just have some kind yeah, of like well. massive crash. I'll, I'll try not to be too good for you, though, Jacob. <laughs> See, that's the kind of thing I like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on the show, Vicky. Thanks. <laughs>